Hey Reality Family, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Nia Durant and I usually have the pleasure of leading us in musical worship on a Sunday or on another day of the week, which is my joy to do. Um, and today I get to come to you in this capacity and I'm going to continue our sermon series on the life of Joshua. I hope that you've been following along. Um, you can catch up with the other um, sermons here on YouTube or on our podcast every week. I'm going to continue again in Joshua chapter 10 today and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 to get us started. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king what he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appeared, appealed to Hoam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going to Beth Oran and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down to Beth Oran and Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it, is as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us as we get started today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, remove any scales from our eyes that we might see you for who you truly are and that you would soften our hearts to hear what you want to impart to us, your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have been blessed with um, an extended family that feels like blood, and that's not an exaggeration. I'm I'm so so blessed, and so a part of this extended family, I have you know three nieces, and one of them had to get a shot to be able to attend school. This was um, I think last month, maybe two months ago. Oh, no, no, last month, <laughs> and she was terrified. She was terrified. Um, 
you know, it was it was a tough time. You know, her dad is having to hold her so that they can administer the shot, and the nurses are telling her that it's not going to be as bad as it, as it as she thinks, and her dad is is telling her that too. And she's basically fighting them off in fear. She is crying. Her sister's recording and laughing. It's kind of it's a lot is going on, a lot of emotion, um, and you know, and they're telling her that the more you move the worse it will be that will that will um, actually make you feel th the pain if you if you are perfectly still it'll be over just like that you'll wonder why you were upset you'll laugh about it finally like after almost four minutes of crying and reasoning and all of that she lets them give her the shot she wasn't stoked about it but it happened it was it took seconds and today in our scripture passage we hear God say to Joshua do not be afraid and if you've been following along in our sermon series, you know that this isn't the first time that God has done this. He commissioned Joshua in chapter one um, with that same command. Do not be afraid. Be bold. Be courageous. Right. And we all love, you know, that verse. And so he says it to him again when he's sending him into battle in this chapter. My confession to you, as I have read this passage now so many times, I realized and only the Holy Spirit could allow me to realize it that I read, do not fear as an option rather than a command from the Lord. When I think about why I might do that, I recognize that in that moment, I don't believe the promise that is coupled with the command. See, God tells Joshua not to fear in the same sentence he declares that he is victorious, it's already done. And so when my niece is melting down over, you know, the possible pain of her shot and it's, you know, that makes sense, right? She is human. Like she is trying to protect herself from pain. But her, the thing is, is like her father and the nurses have told her already what will happen, but she does not believe them. She's afraid. So why should we trust the Lord and obey his command not to fear? Simply put, God will keep his promises. So if God will keep his promises, why should I be afraid or fear losing the battle? So let's continue to talk a little bit more about fear so that we have a right understanding of what happens when we're afraid. Um, I'm going to share with you a, a definition um, from a devotional book that I've been reading called Calm in the Chaos. It's by my friend Manny Arango. It's awesome. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you struggle with anxiety and worry, email me, nia.realityboss.com, because I will send you the link to this book. It's really blessed me tremendously. So here is um, an excerpt from his definition of fear. Fear is an active acknowledgement of our human insufficiency. Fear is the simple belief in a force or power that is greater than we are. Fear is being convinced of how an outsider Outside force or power could affect our existence. It is impossible to be afraid without believing in something greater than yourself. So right at the top of our, our passage today in Joshua 10, we see fear. And it's not from Joshua and the Israelites. It's from the king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek. He's heard um, about Joshua and about um, Israel's army, what they did to Jericho and Ai, and so, and he knows that they have now become allied to this central, very um, powerful um, country called Gibeon. 
as a side note, we learn about Gibeon in chapter 9. We will come back to that in just a few minutes, but we're going to stick with uh, King Adonai Zedek for right now. He's convinced, as my friend Manny mentions in his definition of fear, that this outside force can and will affect uh, his kingdom's existence, right? He's frightened. He starts making plans. He calls for help for five other surrounding kings to ally their armies with him and to attack Gibeon. The thing is, the king should be afraid. He has the right to be afraid because Israel in this time, they are acting as God's judgment, his hand of judgment in these in these battles. And he's heard. So he knows. So he has a right to be fearing for his life. The problem is his fear over Israel and Gibeon being allied caused him to place his faith in a conglomerate of armies that he created to bring victory. And funnily enough, the book of Joshua, much of the book of Joshua declares the very fact that victory comes from faith in God and obedience to his commands. That is how you obtain victory. It summarizes account after account of God being, of God being the great warrior, of God being the great rescuer of his people. Joshua's name means the Lord saves. So it's all about God. But the king of Jerusalem is dependent on his own might. So this brings me to what I want you to remember about fear. Fear can fuel misplaced faith. Fear is a great motivator. I know of what I speak. Okay? I know about it. <laughs> this whole passage that I'm preaching, I am preaching it to myself before I am preaching it to you. It's a great motivator. It can cause you to panic. Fear can cause you to take matters into your own hands. It elevates the illusion that we are in control. And so while the king's plan seemed cunning and, and smart from a military standpoint, God already had a promise to his chosen people in play. So the king's plans, which were created out of panic, did not stand against the plans of the Lord who fights for his people. When it seems that we are surrounded by our enemies, injustice, darkness, anxiety, depressive thoughts, the Lord has already set in motion his promise, which is to be with us and never forsake us. It's in his word. That's why you have to read it. Nothing can stop the promises of God. So do not give in to fear. His promises should fuel our obedience to his command. There are a couple of things I want us to remember about God's promises based on Joshua. And the first is this, and we'll flesh this out. God is committed to us. He is committed to us. The reason why God can tell us not to fear 365 times in the Bible is because he continually shows us his commitment to his covenant to us. When we reflect on where we are in the book of Joshua right now, and, and, and if we look back, we know, we see that God has already performed many miracles for Israel, right? One of the famous ones being, you know, the deliverance from Egypt, their slavery there. He parts the Red Sea for them to walk across on dry land while their enemies were chasing after them. And then he parts the Jordan River for them to enter into the promised land. And all of this is fulfilling a promise that they have clung to as a people group for a long time because Abraham, their forefather back in Genesis 12, was promised that his people would inhabit this land. That was back in Genesis 12. 
So God is fulfilling his promises. Amidst God's great acts of deliverance and miracles, though, is, of course, disobedience, complaining, lack of trust, fear-based planning and actions that led to misplaced faith on many, many occasions. And so it took them a long time to get to the promised land. But God, being the great redeemer that he is, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy, he leads the new generation of Israel with Joshua in leadership to the promised land. I think when we read about the history of Israel, it's easy to feel discouraged, one, because hopefully in your humility, you see some of yourself in the people of Israel, right? And you're like, oh. And then the other thing is like, you know, you just feel discouraged because you're just like, well, if this is who we are, like, what is the point? But what I think we should do is really look at the faithfulness of God in the entire process. Because it's important to remember that it didn't take them so long because God failed. It took them a while because humans failed. But God does not change. And with every story of human failure, God's commitment to us is still everlasting. So let's take a look back to um, the previous chapter of Joshua to continue to prove this point. Remember I said that we would come back to Gibeon? The reason why um, it's such a big deal that Israel became allied to them is kind of like twofold. So A, God had previously instructed the Israelites not to form allies with Canaanite people because they had a lot of practices going on that were absolutely outside of the will of God, period. He doesn't want them to be tempted by them to take on some of those things. So he says, don't, don't do it. The Gibeonites have already heard about Joshua. They've already heard about Moses. They've heard what God can do. They say, you know, your servants were clearly told how the Lord God commanded your servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants before you. So, but they already know what the deal is with God. And so in order to get a possible treaty, they resort to deception. It's To me, it's funny. You know, if you read it, they make up this whole thing. It's very theatrical and 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 to get Israel to take pity on them and and that's basically what happens they interrogate them but they end up saying yes to the treaty the most important part of passage of of chapter 9 to me is the fact that it says they did not seek the counsel of the lord they did not seek the counsel of the lord and at this point you're just kind of like oh really come on do better but <laughs> the point is is they don't seek the counsel of the lord but so by the time they realize they shouldn't have made this treaty, it's too late. They've already made an oath to them. But what I want you to see is that they still honor the oath because God told them very sternly, when you make an oath, you need to keep it. So now they're in this kind of awkward, unwanted relationship with this people. But what I love about it and why it's it's beautiful to me is because God uses an allied relationship that should have never come into existence to help accomplish victory for his chosen people, Israel. Now, the Gibeonites, they become servants of Israel um, forever. The, the scriptures say that they become woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. But you know what? I can't help but think of the psalm where it says, I would rather be a gatekeeper at the house of the Lord than to dwell in the house of the wicked. Now, I can't know for sure that the Canaanites had turned to the Lord as their only God. What I know is that they heard about what God can do about and about how he was using this people group and they heeded the word of the Lord and they or the hand of God and they received mercy in their time of need. So that's A. 
be when the king of Jerusalem and the surrounding kingdoms come together to attack Gibeon, they reach out to Joshua, whose name means the Lord saves, and they say, save us, help us. And he comes to their aid without a second thought. He brings the whole army. And you know what? This works out for Israel from a military standpoint because what would have taken several battles to beat all these kings and their kingdoms, everything's getting done at once now. Now, I don't believe that any of that is just coincidence. This to me is evidence that God is working everything together, both good and bad, to fulfill his promise to Israel because he is committed to them. And I don't mean to ruin the end of Joshua for you. You know, spoiler alert. I'm not sorry. When Joshua is giving his farewell address to the people, to the to the elders and the, and the council, um, he says to them, you know, follow the commands of the Lord. Do not stray from them. And then he says, and what should fuel their obedience to them is this. You know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. They have all been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. God keeps his promises. He is committed to every good word he has spoken concerning his children. Not one word of it has failed. The story of the Bible is humans will always try to do life without God, and God will always show us that we cannot. And even as Joshua is, you know, making his exit, you know, um, from ministry, we know that the Israelites are going to fall into temptation again and they're going to disobey God. But that does not stop God from executing his redemption plan for generations to come. So what I'm always trying to grasp as a Christian and what I want us to grasp as well is that God is not just committed to doing things for us, but doing things with us. And so here we are at verse 8, that's right in the center of our text of, of, of chapter 10. And the Lord says to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. None of them will be able to withstand you. And just a couple verses later, just one verse later, we begin to see God prove his commitment to his promise. In verse 10, it says the Lord um, threw the, the, those, the opposing armies into confusion before Israel. And so then they defeat them completely at Gibeon. And they continue to chase their enemies and battle. And it said that the Lord sent down large hailstones and more of them died from that than at the sword of Israel. So this is again what I mean when I say God is not just committed to doing things for us, but with us. Joshua and the army, they are fighting, but it is clearly, look at how the scriptures talk about it. It's clearly God's divine intervention that has given them victory. God is the actual leader. If you remember back in Joshua 5, God has clearly established with Joshua, this is my battle. I am in control. So it's the Lord's divine intervention that is propelling them forward. Remember that I said that I wanted us to look at two things about God's promises from this passage. So as we continue to move through it, we not only see that God is committed to us, but two, we see that God listens and responds to our faith. Now we're at the epic part of this of this chapter um, in verses 12, 13, where Joshua prays this, this bold and courageous prayer. Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Many scholars debate, you know, 
the, the language that's there is poetic, so they, you know, are looking at it and figuring out, well, what does it actually mean? How did it actually happen scientifically? The, the Earth is on an axis, the sun's rotation, I mean, the Earth's rotation, the sun's rotation. Here is the point. <laughs> God is willing to move heaven and earth to keep his promise to his children. That is good news. He stopped what we would consider the normal boundaries of time to give Joshua and the army more daylight to defeat their enemies. That was a bold prayer that he prayed. God responded to the faith of Joshua. And I'm not talking about daylight savings time, you know, what we're doing now, which is everybody's like, come on, why are we still doing this? I'm talking about the sun didn't set when it was supposed to set. I'm talking about that kind of divine power. That is what gives them victory. God listens to Joshua's faith. He responds to Joshua's faith. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of James uh, chapter 5, where he says, Elijah was a human being even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. Humans praying prayers of faith and God responding. That ought to be your hope today. The Lord listens to us and he responds to our faith. We should take comfort in that. He will come to us as surely as the sun rises. The Lord will come. Why would we not trust in a God that is that passionate about our victory? About coming through on his promise. About doing what he says. I mean, let's really think about this passage. You know, how does it make you feel when you read that? For me, I say, wow, God, are you really that passionate about me? To remove the boundaries of time for me? Yes. Yes, I am that passionate about you, says the Lord. So much so that I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill my covenant promise to you. Just as Joshua, whose name means the Lord saves led my people from the wilderness into the promised land. So my son, Jesus Christ, leads you from sin and death into eternal life. When they mocked him on the cross and they said, if, if you're the son of God, save yourself. He endured the cross so that he could save you. Surely he bore your weaknesses so that you might permanently enter my rest. And just as I caused the sun to remain in the sky to give Israel victory in battle, I caused the sun to cease from shining in the middle of the day to give you the greatest victory of all when Jesus breathed his last breath and said, it is finished. And now you have a seat at the table. The Lord keeps his promises. He is committed to us. He listens to us. He fights for us. He responds to us. He saves us. The Lord saves. Yahweh saves. So how should we respond to him? Believe him. Believe him. Believe that God is a man of his word. Scripture tells us it is impossible for God to lie. His very nature is truth. He is holy. If you believe in his promises, you don't have to be afraid. You can choose to direct your faith towards the promise of his eternal victorious presence rather than direct your faith towards your fear or desire to be in control. Only God can be in control. And as you come to know him more intimately, you will want to trust him. You'll want to depend on him. 
Stand on the promises of God and you will have the fuel that you need to trust and obey his command, not to fear. It's my hope that soon after this sermon, you're gonna take a few moments to take communion in the remembrance of Christ, because he is God's promise fulfilled. Jesus is God's promise fulfilled to us. The bread is his body broken for us. And the wine is his blood that is shed for us for the remission of sin. Jesus is God's passionate love on pursuit. And we participate in the act of communion to remember the great sacrifice to remember that God keeps his promises and your remembrance is a weapon of your warfare. So as I close, I'm going to go back to one of the scriptures I read at the end of Joshua earlier to be an encouragement to you. You know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. They have all been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. May these words encourage your heart to remember and to believe that God keeps his promises. Do not be afraid. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and shine his face upon you and give you peace. Amen.